Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Helming Power Hour. <laughs> Test one, two, mic check, one, two, three, four. Is, is this thing on? Okay, are we ready? Oh, 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 it's, oh. My fellow Americans, this is uh, your former commander-in-chief, Ronald Reagan. It is in my distinct honor to introduce one of my, my favorite shows, the, uh, the, um, um, what was what was the name of this show again? Um, the Helming Power Hour, sir. Oh, oh yes, the uh, the Helming Power Hour, a show that talks about a lot of those great '80s gems. So, as as the president of the '80s, you know, Ricky and and Danny, they uh, they asked me to introduce uh, this uh, milestone tenth episode congratulations guys 10 big episodes uh, you know you may remember um, my wife Nancy uh, Nancy uh, had that great 80s slogan just say no and uh, she asked me to pass along this uh, just say no to last action hero <laughs> yeah yeah sorry danny i had had to pull your leg a little bit on that one there well well it's time to to get this show on the road without uh, without further ado mr ming tear down this wall <laughs> Hey, hey, hey! Welcome back, everybody, to the Helming Power Hour! Yeah! <laughs> whoop, whoop! <laughs> We're here to talk about some Sean Connery Palooza. That's right, we got two movies with a great Sean Connery in it. Scotland's second greatest person. First person is our special guest today, Mr. Duncan McLeish. You can I love that. Duncan. Duncan is the best man in my wedding. Right. Even if he wasn't there, he was still the best man at your wedding. Now, you were there, and you know Duncan, so it's pretty much the same thing. Okay, cool. But yeah, two Sean Connery classics. Number one, we're starting off with 1981's Outland. This movie throws it at you, man. It's an awesome movie. That's right. Uh, Outland is is a space western cop drama which uh stars as you said sean connery and it holds up well from 1981 to today and as a second movie to continue our sean connery fest 
with our special guest, Duncan McLeish. The second movie that he chose for us, one of my personal favorites, 1986's Highlander. The original, never to be confused with any of its faults. to be kings. That's right. So, it's going to be a great ride. We're going to have a couple of movies to, to sell you on, and I think it won't take long before you're running out to buy them and watching them with the whole family, popcorn in hand, dog in your lap. Or vice versa. <laughs> Depends on the size of your dog. Oh, all right. We'll be back with the mighty Duncan McLeish. We'll be right back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you ready to rock? They have been the hottest band of the last decade. And coming off the huge success of their last triple platinum album, Yeast, comes the biggest musical leap that will change music forever. Meatloaf Craven, Johnny Krug on guitar, Duncan McLeish on keyboards. Rick Morgan on drums. And Danny Bennett on his green tambourine. Spring Hill Jack 2, the soundtrack by Meatloaf Craven. Order yours today. It could kill your mom. All right, all right, all right. Happily going to be introducing my buddy here from Scotland, which is why we're doing these two movies. He actually picked these to come on the show, and I'll be honest with you. He's really the reason that we started this show. I mean, Danny and I are goofballs, but I bothered this guy so much with questions, and I'm so excited that he was patient. (laughs) And to get them come on the show and just have a big time with us, man, it's the one and only Duncan McLeish. Hello, how's it going, guys? <laughs> awesome, man. So I'm I'm kind of starstruck here, uh, <laughs> like really starstruck. Like we were just talking off air about how much I really like what you guys are doing. It's like uh, you you put um, you put Duncan McLeish to shame uh, oh. from where I started doing stuff a couple of years ago. You guys are light years ahead, and it's exciting. It's really exciting. Every episode when it drops, I'm. I'm right there downloading it and right there listening and right there loving it. It's fantastic. Uh, too kind. I mean, you know, they don't just give prince hoods in Mongo to just anybody. <laughs> <laughs> we had to earn it. So, you know, maybe we talked to Ming. You can have your own little uh, section. Maybe the one that he didn't give to Flash. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Phrygia? Which, which one was that? <laughs> I, well, I think he was going to just find someplace. Because Phrygia, well, I don't know, man. Nobody wants Phrygia. Right. Oh. True. The best thing it had was that ice jewel and they stole it. but yeah seriously man if you don't know who duncan is then you just haven't been listening to this show we talk about him a lot here is promos podcast under the stairs chronicle duncan bow come correct midnight horror show doing the nasty i mean the guys we i call him the machine because he just doesn't (laughs) stop and there's no way to catch up you just have to grab a show and hold on 
yeah, it's, it's been going for a while. Uh, I think that's I, I, my problem is I have a difficulty at saying no. <laughs> so when people are like you should come on like the Midnight Horror Show is. I've been doing that for two years now, but that show has been on the go in various different incarnations since 2008. Right. And I had a guest appearance and they invited me back on a second time and they were like, you know, if you want, you could just come and do more shows and I've been on it ever since. So my difficulty is saying no. Right. Um, yeah, so that doesn't that doesn't explain why I'm here. I was really excited to do this one, but I can't get off the midnight horror show now. Like that's locked in. I I, I can no longer, even though I hope hopefully Danny's not listening to this because Danny will kill me if he hears me. But I can't get off that show. This is a plea for help. This is basically this is me, this is like a plea for someone to help me get off the midnight horror show. If you if you can do that, if you can hear me out there, find me. I'm not difficult to find online. Get me off the midnight horror show. And yeah, the merry-go-round spinning. You just got to find the right spot to jump off. And <laughs> yeah, I'm surrounded by barbed wire and glass. So um, <laughs> there, you go. there we go. But yeah, it's, it's, it's super exciting to be on this show. And thank you very much for what you were saying. Like, I have no difficulty at all handing down advice for people that want to start podcasts. I think. It's how I started. I, I bugged. I had about two or three shows that I listened to religiously, and that's all I did when I wanted to start a podcast was bug them. <laughs> and um, I kind of feel like it's it's my responsibility right. when someone asks just to take a couple of minutes. And to be honest with you, Ricky, you asked all the right questions. There's a lot of people that are like, you know, I, you know, I want to start a podcast. Um, you know, h- how do I get how do I get lots of downloads? And I'm like, well, that's the wrong question to open right. with. Yeah. That's not what it's there for. First, you need to do something you enjoy doing, right. and if you enjoy it, people start listening. It's it's not the other way around. I think some people start shows just assuming they're going to be right. kind of internet celebrities, and that's. I mean, if everyone should have a goal and an aspiration, but if it's for podcasting, I think it's first and foremost doing something that you you enjoy doing, and I think that's what's great about used to uh, doing this show. I, like you genuinely feel the camaraderie and the love for these movies, and it's infectious to listen to. And I think, like my uh, former my former colleague, Mister Blockley, was saying last week, in between ridiculing me, Andy. And that's right, I'm on the microphone now. Um, yeah, every time, every time one of your shows pops up, I know my wallet's going to take a hit if I don't own the movie. So, yeah, Amazon loves me at the moment. Well, we're just trying to get people to realize, and, and you'd be surprised how many messages we do get that are, man, I totally forgot about that movie, and I'm buying it right now, and they'll send pictures where they ordered it from Amazon, and, you know, that's awesome, because that's all we want out of this. You know, mm-hmm. we love these movies. We know you do, too. You just forgot that you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the danger is as well that these movies, like, the danger is in the, the time that we live in now, is that eventually, if movies are forgotten about, they disappear. Right. You know what I mean? They, they will just disappear, especially the more we move into digital formats for things now. Um, you know, movies will just disappear. So the fact that you can make us remember every now and again, just that little move. I mean, and you, you cover movies which are like, are just all over the place. I love it. I, I like every t- like genuinely every time. T- it's like you are cataloging my childhood. Wow. <laughs> it's like week on week, and it's fantastic. And these two movies that we're going to be discussing tonight, one of them certainly is very well known. The other one, slightly, I would say it's slightly more obscure. Right. It was it was a fairly big deal when it came out. Not 
huge deal, but um, it did have its fans, and it is fairly well um, critiqued right. by reviewers out there. But it's it's one of those movies that when you gave me the the opportunity to pick a couple to come on, I was like, this is a movie I've wanted to talk about for years, but have never had the outlet. Right. To do it. It doesn't fit into any of the categories on any of my shows. Um, so getting a chance to chat to you guys, knowing your love of this decade as well, is exciting. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what this is. And we try to pair them up that way. One is pretty well known. The other one, maybe not so much. But if you liked that one, you're probably going to like this one too. Yeah, you know, with the uh, Sean Connery connection, definitely. And I, I think it's worth saying that, you know, we have a lot of people come back to us. And I think I might have said it with Andy, so we can cut it out if I did. A lot of people come back to us and say, hey, I bought this movie because of you, and it's not a movie we've done. <laughs> like, how, how many people have said Meatballs? <laughs> right. We've done Meatballs. Yeah. Hey, I posted that on Facebook and said, what movie did you go buy because of listening to our show? Meatballs. Okay. That's fine. <laughs> Maybe we just remind them of Meatballs. I don't know. No, that's we can remind them of meat, Meatballs, too. In. <laughs> Maybe people putting in suggestions under the radar. You know, I'm buying this movie, this movie that you should review. Ooh. <laughs> don't know why I put the ooh at the end. Right. It's just fucking this spooky effect. I don't know. I don't have a soundboard like Ricky, so I have to do my own sound effects. I have to do. Was that you, Duncan? That was really good. Yeah, that was, that was me. That's, uh, that's I, I, mean, I don't have a soundboard, so I have to put practice like in. The Scottish Lynx. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you know, like, because like, obviously you mentioned the, the, the connection on this one is Sean Connery. Right. I was kind of thinking about this today. Sean Connery is not a great actor, right? I think we can all say that. True. But I think what he does um, is something that isn't done now. You know what I mean? Right. There was there was a certain generation of actors that were just leading men. That's who they were. You know, you would just cast them regardless of their skill set. Um, you know, regardless if they were an action you know, like star. Yes, yeah, it was all of that of that generation where he, you, he played Cary Grant, just like Sean Connery <laughs> plays Sean Connery <laughs> in every movie. I mean, watch the Hunt for Red October, and please tell me where where in any part of that. He sounds remotely Russian. Even when he does the <laughs> Russian, he sounds Scottish doing Russian. Alec Baldwin comes out and Alec Baldwin speaks fluent Russian in a Russian accent and he's American in that movie. So, you know what I mean? It, but, like, Sean Connery is just, he's that, he's, yeah. he's just that styly actor and I think what's quite interesting about these two movies is it's completely different roles and completely acted differently yeah. but are still quintessentially Sean Connery and I think that's maybe the testament to him as an actor is that maybe he couldn't do the voices or maybe he wasn't the greatest you know emotor or anything like that but what he was good at was kind of taking a script and seeing how would Sean Connery play this part and right. doing it. Well I mean the women still coo over him now you know. Yeah. He just had that thing, you know. It's like Sam, Sam Elliott is Sam Elliott. He doesn't mm -hmm. really do any other character. And women just eat it up. So as long as that happens, there's a career. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and it's, 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 it's spun right through. When you look at his, his early career, lesser, because he, he did obviously. Right. Yeah, and I've said before he's my favourite Bond, and I know people disagree yeah. with that, but you're wrong. He's you. the best Bond. Um, but uh, when he moved out from that, I mean, he worked with Hitchcock. You know, he's he's what he's worked with De Palma. Right. Um, 
he's, you know, he's he really did. I mean, up until the point he retired, worked with some phenomenal directors and some really interesting parts. And these two, like in the 80s, his career was its most diverse, where he was just doing everything that was being flung at him. I think what's quite interesting about this one is that we have one movie where he is quite clearly the star of the movie, and then we do the other movie where he is not the star of the movie, but somehow still remains the star of the movie. And, uh, yeah, we love you, Sean. If you ever hear this, we love you. That's I right. love you, Sean Connery. <laughs> I think he did one of our um, our IMDb descriptions of movies. Maybe he's done two. He's, he's done a few. Yeah, yeah. He's he's made a special appearance. Yeah, he's uh, whoever did that impression was great. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I do have to say, you know, and and then we can move on to the movie that that, uh, in my opinion, and Sean Connery, he does play Sean Connery, but there is a point to that where you know acting isn't as easy as it looks and. Mm-hmm. You know, just the fact that he he steps into a role and he's able to play himself and be in those situations. I mean, you really believe that he's there. You know, he isn't right. he isn't phoning it in. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I think it, it's worth saying that he may not be the the best character actor, where he changes every time, like Gary Oldman is. But he uh, he certainly he takes his machismo and he takes his personality and he brings that to the character as opposed to bringing the character to him. Yeah. Definitely. Well, cool. Well, what we're talking about is the 1981 movie Outland. And to give us a synopsis for that, here's our friend Jimmy Stewart. Uh, Outland, a 1981 film rated R, 112 minutes, an action, a crime, and a sci-fi movie. In the distant future... A police marshal station, a remote mining colony on the Jupiter moon of Io, <laughs> uncovers a drug smuggling conspiracy and gets no help from the populace when he later finds himself marked for murder. Oh man. <laughs> well, it's got the great actor, you guessed it, Clark Peters. <laughs> and also, you guessed it, Pete Starr. <laughs> Pat Starr, my bad. The quote of the movie that's recognized is, Nelson, we're talking about nuclear detonators here. You don't just lose them and then find them. You lose your comb and then find it, but not detonators. And now, now I want to know where they were found, and who found him. You get my drift? Question mark. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate that, buddy. That was the longest quote ever. (laughs) (laughs) For you folks that don't know, that's my buddy. Jimmy Stewart? (laughs) Jimmy Stewart. That's my buddy Jacob Kennedy, and I literally just drove to his house about 15 minutes before the show, and he just spits these things out, man. I've never seen anything like it. So, And uh, I just appreciated him taking the time, and it takes everything I have not just crack up when I'm sitting there listening to these. So, uh, Jacob Kennedy, everybody give him a hand. Yeah! Yes. <laughs> All right. That was a good one. Okay, Danny, as always, I pick on you first. Why do we watch Outland? Well, the reason when you watch Outland, tell you what, do you like Alien? 
Yes. Because I'll tell you right now, if you took Alien and you subtracted the Alien <laughs> and you put it right before Alien, where there are miners in a mining colony, right. and then there's some kind of a plot from the company that they work for to kill them, hey, it's right there. You know, the, the production for the mine is, is in there, but, but I'm getting off track. The first reason to watch this movie is if you like Alien, it's got the same feel. It's got the same 1970s future look. It it's got the same computer screens. It's got the same kind of gritty look. Like, I never once was watching this and thought, you know, these people are not on a moon of Jupiter mining for titanium. Mm-hmm. I didn't think, oh, this, that looks so hokey. Even the, the effects that were obviously effects, I still believed that the whole thing was taking place in space. And that's a reason to watch it because, you know, even now with, with tons of digital effects and, and, and gazillion dollars, they, they can't make a movie that looks so gritty and realistic as to make me believe, yeah, sure, they're mining in space. I believe it. The first thing I had on mine was the Ridley Scott influence. I mean, you, you see it. The, the space suits look like the suits from Alien. Um, to me, you can see hints of Blade Runner in there as well. And uh, that was the trend of the time. And, and this one holds up very well, I think. I was going to say that, um, that like, in terms of the, the space suit and um, some of the exterior shots kind of reminded me of 2001 A Space Odyssey. There's yes. a kind of Kubrickian um, feel to, especially when they're, you know, because you don't really get the, the kind of outside kind of spacewalking stuff in, in the movie Alien. But I would totally agree with that. I that kind of aesthetic, the eye for detail, that this kind of lived-in environment for that this kind of mining colony. It, if if it doesn't look like it feels a bit grubby and a bit realistic, and you know the rooms kind of look. I love the fact that when we see where the miners sleep, it's just bunks, right? Um, and and that's all kind of covered in such a realistic way that it, it instantly drags you into this scenario and you never question it from that point onwards like from, from the first five minutes of seeing how people live on this station you just believe that this is a, a mining station and that's that's really clever filmmaking you know what right. I mean because the, the, the difficult a lot of people had especially back then when it came to sci-fi movies is something which will make you feel like you're there and not watching a cheesy B-movie from, you know, the 1950s Spacemen and, oh, we're on another planet. Um, And the fact that they make this kind of realistic and gritty, exactly like Danny was saying, is that, you know, instantly brings you in and then they can do whatever they want in the movie and you'll go with it. Right. I also had, you you talk about the special effects for the exterior stuff, but uh, I had Kubrick and Space 1999 looks. (laughs) (laughs) We're all on the same page. I got to step in in here too and say, you know, the name Peter Hyams came up when I was when I was watching the intro. And I was like, I've heard that name before, and I won't uh, claim to be, you know, I, I know things, but I had to look it up. And when I looked it up, I saw that he directed 2010. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, 2001. I mean, I was born in '74. 2001. I guess when it came out, I just didn't appreciate it. But 2010, I ate that movie up, oh, yeah. and I knew there was something familiar about it. And it, they probably got Peter Hyams for a, a big part because they, they might have seen in this that he had a very similar style in space to, uh, to Kubrick from 2001. I, I imagine that would, could factor yeah. in there. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's to me that that would be the the obvious choice from there. I, I, obviously, the guy's greatest work is Time Cop, but we'll not spend time <laughs> talking about how amazing John Claude Van Damme is in that movie, and we'll focus on on a uh, on Outland. I mean, but yeah, like what what I had on my list is the fact that Outland is basically it's a western. That's that's oh, yeah. what it is. It's like watching something like High Noon or The Virginian. Um, but they just change the location, yep. and it has all the the beats and all the you know the, the the vibe of a western, and they just they very carefully and cleverly just change the surrounding and just like change details. You know what would happen if we had you know this kind of okay corral wild west standoff. But we just put it in space, and we put where can we put it on space? Well, you know, like these small towns in, in the Wild West, where you know, like mining towns and all the rest. Well, we'll just put it on a moon beside right. Jupiter. Yeah, that'll work. Let's do it, and there you go. It writes itself. Yeah, I've read where the director actually said that he said he wanted to make a western, and nobody told him hey, you can't do those anymore. They're dead, mm-hmm. and uh, he took it and put it in space. So there you go, folks. A reason to watch this movie, without a doubt. Is high noon in space. High noon in space. <laughs> I dropped you the know, mic. <laughs> Duncan, I'm glad you mentioned the time cop connection because the, through this whole movie, I was thinking, why isn't Sean Connery doing the splits? Filming. <laughs> I, th- I, I kind of think that maybe, maybe uh, even Sean Connery's stunt double in this movie didn't want to do the splits. <laughs> <laughs> not like, not like, but John Clyde. Guys, no. right. menace. Another reason to watch this movie. Lots of heads blowing up, man. Lots yeah. of heads blowing up. Every time up. you turn around, some dude's head's blowing up like the guy from Big Trouble in Little China. Sing cycle this when he's inside the head mask yeah. uh, and it starts to decompress. He's, that's exactly what the effect is. Yeah. It, prede- it predates that movie by like five years. So there John Carpenter go. stole that effect. Uh-oh. Yeah, he was like, make a balloon look like a guy's face and then just blow it up and, and I guess fill it, like have some squib packs to go off in there. Yeah, I love the fact that I love the fact that they're in space and they have aircraft. You know, all these aircraft that can take you from one planet to another, and the cryostasis, which they mention, all these things that they have. But what they don't have is ray guns <laughs> or anything like that. They have shotguns, and that shotguns is badass. Like that you know, you know <laughs> the te- that we we spent the money and the technology where it needed to go, and that was to get us to the planets. We will happily use this rudimentary shooting device because it will still carve a hole in someone. So that's fine. I've, I've got it as one of my reasons to watch the movie. Shotguns <laughs> are the weapon of choice. <laughs> it's default weapon of choice, and they're awesome. They're like street sweepers. You know, they got the pistol right. grip. Man, I'd be scared of it. Or, or the fact that Sean Connery has asbestos hands. Like there is a scene right. where he shoves his hand into a pot full of boiling oh. fat for a good like thirty seconds and pulls it in. There's nothing wrong with it. He's it's got a bandage around it later because yeah. you know bandages they they fix everything. Come on, yeah, man. bandages fix. Like, you know you're dealing bumps. with a bad dude though when he walks in and he's got a neck brace on. Yeah, in the freezer. That's a great scene. That, that's one of my reasons to watch it too. I was like the the the, the choke resistant collar that he's hiding. It's a great scene, man. It doesn't make any sense, but it. I love it. it. It's like, wait a minute. If I squeeze his neck, it would still get tighter on his neck. No, man. It was like a hard collar. No, okay. Yeah, it was, it was like a yeah, you know, like I said, it was like a neck brace. And the guy was like, oh, he's dead because he just rolled over right. and. 
And then he got up to go do what he was doing anyway. Like, I guess that's done. I'll give you another reason to watch this movie. The interplay between Sean Connery and Francis Sternhagen. Uh, Great. It's just like the greatest thing ever. It's just the perfect... (laughs) <laughs> the perfect alignment of two actors that yeah. you would never imagine sharing the screen, but when it does, it becomes gold. It is fantastic. I I was thinking to myself, you know, when I'm when I'm selling this movie, how am I going to sell it for the fun factor? Because it's not mm. it's not really fun. You know, it's 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 exciting and and he's a badass and it's 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 adventurous. But I was like, where's the fun? And Doctor Lazarus brings the fun, right? Yeah, like she is such a curmudgeon. And her interplay with with him, you know, where he's like, uh, what does he says? Well, he says he'll kick her nasty ass all over the the, the medical yeah. bay or whatever. Yeah. It's like he says oh. that's a martial joke because she she jokes with him earlier on and he doesn't like the sense of humor. He just wants answers, and she's like that. Oh, you know, take two and call me in the morning. That's a doctor's joke. Um, and then later on, he says he'll kick her nasty ass all around the medical bay if he doesn't give the answers. And he's like, that's a that's a that's a martial joke. Um, as he's walking in, I'm like, oh yes, <laughs> and they they're just great characters like. Um, yeah. Her, like you say, kind of curmudgeon attitude towards her job, and obviously she just like. But when she starts to realise that maybe something is happening on her watch that she should pay a bit of attention to, and she's she's a bit of a punk in this movie. She kind of likes anarchy, and when she realises someone's going to bring the system down, she gets involved. And what I like about the movie as well, and something that you would definitely want to recommend it for, is she's not just a bit character that disappears. She then becomes pivotal towards the end of the role, and the most unlikely help you would expect for Sean Connery's character. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who would who would think that she would be able to help him do the things he needs to do? And of course, that's mm-hmm. a big one on my list. The final battle is just awesome. It goes on for ages, but yeah. that makes it amazing. Like the build up from the moment that you know there is sixty, yeah, the, the sixty countdown. hours until the thing arrives. You've still got right. forty minutes of the movie left, yeah. and you're like, what was going to go on here? That end sequence from the moment the bounty hunters come on uh, onto the space station, you have about twenty five minutes, and it's just glorious. Yeah. I agree. The cat and mouse that they do, and and also like I have pacing written down several times. Yeah. Because suspense is used really well when when the miners are going crazy, and, and you know they're going to like from that first miner going crazy where he thinks he has spiders in his suit, mm-hmm. you know he's yeah. gonna die, and everybody around him is just going, yeah, whatever, because they're they're caught up in the minutia of their of their life there or the the situation they're in, and this guy's. And, and you're just like, turn around, turn around and help that guy. He's going to kill himself. Turn around, <laughs> and and it's the same way with the with the shuttle landing in sixty in in what yeah. sixty hours? Yeah, I mean, and it's like it's a long time, and they keep counting it down. And he's and he's running for his life. Basically, he knows he's alone. He doesn't know how many people are coming. He doesn't know anything. And he's and and you're you're watching him prepare. And it's like I guess it's like the end of Predator. You know, he knows it's coming, so he starts setting booby traps. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that crap. Love that. Before that as well, I'd like to, to even indicate how long the 60 hours is. We, we get to see him doing various different things, but he has a conversation with Dr. Lazarus in the, in the squash bee, and she's like, ah, do you want to go and get you know, hammered? Do you want to get like, really, really drunk? Right. And he's like, that. yeah, let's go. <laughs> That's how long there is in there that he can get ridiculously drunk, wake up, recover from his hangover, and still be ready to set Home Alone-style traps with a shotgun. <laughs> when, and, and Rick, Duncan, what do you think about the fact that 
after all that, the shuttle lands early. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like it, it, it's showing you the ticker, and then it's like, oh, it's here. Yes. Was, he had like five minutes left or something. <laughs> was, and it was like, you know, his face when he's trying to get everything done, and then when he sees that, he's like, oh, crap. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact as well that there's, <clears throat> there's that scene where he walks in to basically ask people for help and he walks into yeah. the room and all these people we've seen these people before at the start of the movie when he's introducing himself to them he's looking forward to working with them and they're all quite accepting of him um apart from the, the main villain in this played by peter boyle incredible villain yep. he's just a sleaze bag from the moment you meet him you're like i don't like you um and what I love about that is when he eventually goes in and asks for help, no one is prepared to stand up for him. And someone gives you this, like, kind of throwaway answer about you're the one that's supposed to be protecting us. Right. Um, and where, and where's, where, where's where your are man? your men? Yeah. yeah. And it, John Connery's answer, which has an expletive in it, so we'll not use it, is a, is a classic example of just Sean Connery just like, ah, here we go. You know, it's, it's not worth fighting. It's not worth arguing with these people. None of them are going to help me regardless of anything I say. I'm just going to have to go and do it myself. And do it himself, he does, which is uh, which is pretty awesome. And the final interaction between him and Peter Boyle is, yeah. <clears throat> you know, it's, it's minuscule in terms of the movie's runtime, but it just it's the summation of everything you've seen in that. 30 second interaction and it's fantastic and and even furthermore I think when and, and Danny would mentioned about pacing in general this has a very 1970s style yeah. attitude and I think we touched about that before when it comes to the sci-fi it kind of almost feels out of place being in 1981 considering it kind of feels like late 70s yeah. but the pacing of the movie follows that kind of format where in the 70s people just made movies for storytelling, yeah, I mean, we're going to tell a story, and if it runs two hours, it runs two hours. Um, and there's no, there's not someone in in a you know a studio sitting there with a stopwatch saying, "Well, demographics show that if this movie's over an hour and forty five minutes, no one will go and see it." Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it does what it needs to do. It doesn't the pace it needs to do, and it puts the pace in quick when it needs to be and slow and focuses on you know these scenes of. I mean, we spend a lot of time with a guy trying to kill a, a hooker. You know, yeah. I mean, a lot of time in that scene. Um, yeah. Whereas, if that movie was made now, uh, the police officer would have arrived. He would have had three sentences talking through the door. He would have kicked the door down and shot him. Right. Move on to the next scene, and they build it up really, really well in yeah. this movie. And as such, you really do feel an impact. You feel concerned for Sean Connery when you realise that two. I mean, you, you obviously, if you're a fan of cinema, you kind of guess that he's gonna, he's gonna survive. But there is that sense of impending doom when you know two of these completely badass hitmen are now on a shuttle and they're on their way there, and yeah. he feels you feel concerned for him. And that, once again, is great filmmaking. It's it's the sort of thing that modern films struggle to do, just because they have so many ring fences around them stopping them doing what they should be doing, which is stuff like this character development. Man, in the scene you're talking about when the guy's got the prostitute in there and he's going out of his mind, if that doesn't unnerve you or make you, yeah. you know, just twitch in your seat watching this, you know, because you're like, hurry up and get in there, do something. And, and uh, you know, it's it, dudes running around with a knife acting like Klaus Kinski, just <laughs> crazy in there, you know, and uh, it's a great scene. 
yeah, it's, it, it, it it builds up perfectly, and um, as I mean, and that's that's a that's a bit part by Stephen Berkoff, who's a great actor in his own right for playing kind of like kind of off the rails, slightly unhinged, psychotic roles. He's he's been doing that for for a long time. It's a very small part for him, but it you know it's 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 almost a film stealer in that right. how ridiculously over the top and you know unhinged it becomes and it's very Blade Runner-esque to right. fit in with like the kind of <clears throat> the the bar area where, where everyone goes feels exactly. like Blade Runner yep. his look is not that far removed from something like Ruger Hauer totally um, agree. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's great I can't, I can't say enough good things about it it's, well, and he stays yeah. really like you know to his credit he stays really still when Sean Connery stabs him in the throat with that syringe yeah <laughs> I mean, I don't know how he didn't flinch or anything. I would have had to, hey, what are you doing? But, you know, to the point that you're talking about, they, like the, the countdown, the, uh, the, the run-up to the guy killing himself, the, the whole build between um, Sean Connery talking through the door, it, it reminds me, and, and Rick's heard me say this a million times, my, my favorite um, Alfred Hitchcock quote is, to build suspense, if you have a bomb under the table – you don't just have the bomb blow up. You show the bomb under the table and then you have the characters come in and play cards. Yeah. You know, you have to show people the danger and then show them what people are doing so that you create the suspense. And you say, no, no, no don't do that. Don't you know there's a bomb under the table? Mm. And, and that's, they do that so well in this movie. It really impressed me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a well-made film. I've got something on here on my list that I wouldn't say is a reason to watch it, but it's definitely something to watch out for. And you guys can tell me if you agree with this or not. I don't. But, okay. <laughs> Piss Just off kidding. then. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the creepy kid, man. His son. Yeah. <laughs> that kid it is looks, creepy, man. It's, it's, not, it's not just that, though. As you can tell... <clears throat> There's another story going on where Sean Connery is just disappointed that that's his son. <laughs> yeah. Like really, like I think the, I think he's opening words to him. Um, find his son's complaining about having braces, and Sean Connery's open words to him as you know that he's going to knock his teeth in basically <laughs> yeah. um, if he keeps moaning. And I'm just like, <laughs> you know that kind of set something, and then Connery's a bit confused when his family leaves five minutes later, and I'm like, well. No, I'm not. <laughs> you wouldn't get your creepy son out of there. <laughs> there's that. There's that weird message that his son sends. Right. right. Okay. Well, I, are you going to come with us? What's like, it like, Daddy? His, I love it's you, like his Daddy. neck is all scrunched up, and he's like looking straight at the camera. Like, ah, it's weird. You're right. That's what I mean. It's almost like he's going to come through the screen like the demon on uh, Demons Two or something. Right. It's, it's like uh, something from The Ring, isn't it? He's going to come through the screen. <laughs> And Man. yeah, I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. When that conversation finished, it was a telephone call, and um, Sean Connery found that he had seven days left to live. Um, yeah, that's he is. He's he's incredibly, incredibly creepy. I'll tell you what I'll go for then. It's a, a recommendation which is less creepy, very underused in the movie, but incredibly effective is the Jerry Goldsmith score for the movie. Oh yes, I think the score is incredible for this movie, and a lot of it is just kind of atmospheric sims in a background very very sparse but when it's building up you get loads going on and it's it's fantastic yeah goldsmith did some great stuff on that one it's it's a great soundtrack Mm -hmm. love it 
Love it, love it. Yeah, but Creepy Son wins it. Actually, that was the best one. We should have led with oh, that. Oh, man. <laughs> Creepy just... Son, I mean, well, he's yeah, he, he's from the ring part two, Outland. <laughs> Wait, there's already a ring part two. Yeah, the ring part three. Let's go Dang with it. that. There's probably a ring part three. So, and I mean, he's like the other thing about this movie, like, which I think kind of adds to, like, small things like what the make clever decisions with with the story in order to make it effective. Like, he is standing up to the bosses in charge of this one. If he has a family living on the station, then they are going to be in danger. So they just get rid of that element really quick. So right. they give you enough of that to let you know Sean Connery's hardworking family man. And then they can remove those characters and we don't really need to see them again. Uh, which is, yeah, I think, because they're not really interesting characters at all, but they're there just to set up the premise of, look at Sean Connery. He's he's an everyman. He's a, you know, a just hardworking lawman. He's a family man. And now he's taking he's taking on the bad guys, yep. just like you would expect in a western. So I, I mean that's that to me is really clever because you can just keep them in there. They could have done that purely through video conversations yep. in the movie, and they don't do that. They give you just that clip at the beginning, and then a couple of clips in between, and that's all you need. And it's not just the bad guys. So you're talking pretty much the whole system. I mean, everybody's yeah. involved in this. The other cops, the whole thing. So it's just it's a one man army, just like Commando. <laughs> just just like Commando. Yeah, we love you, Andy Blockley. <laughs> Aw, I do love him. I miss him. I miss him. Uh, I would do my Andy Blockley impression, but it's almost as good as my Christopher Walken. So we'll keep that one. We'll keep that. One, we'll keep that one on hold until the next time I'm back and I'm drinking. I've actually had people co- that come in on your Walken said it was really good. My Walken is awful. Yeah, it's pretty good, man. It's 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 pretty. It's pretty awful on the scale of of awful impressions. That one's kind of near the top. <laughs> like really isn't very good. I'm glad that you left it to the outtakes at the end because that's where it deserved to be. Either that or the recycle bin. One of the two. I'll I'll have to try and do a Sean Connery and we'll see if it's just as bad. Oh, the Americans! The Americans for some reason can can really. Funnily enough, Scotsmen struggle to do <clears throat> Connery, uh, but Americans for some reason nail it. Well, you know, our accents, I, I feel like they're kind of flat, so yeah. maybe we can just, you know, move around it. I used to be able to do a pretty decent Australian accent, but then it got replaced with Cockney and it never came back. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I, I can't do an H, and, you know, you have to be able to pronounce an H to do an Australian accent. Yeah. But, but, and, and, well, we're Oh, my God, you sound like Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins. <laughs> Hell, man. <laughs> oh, you're going to kill our guest, man. That's how I talk to my missus when we're getting into the loving. Do I sound like a prince? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Oh. Oh, and you imagine Sean Connery and Mary Poppins. <laughs> I can. Well, that's Sean Connery as Mary Poppins. <laughs> oh, he's a, oh, it's a jolly holiday with Mary. 
It'd be amazing. I want to see that now. I want to see him do super califragilistic expelladocious. My head would explode with the amount of S's that are in that word. <laughs> oh okay. You get so, your money's work, folks. Outland. Why do you watch Outland? So far, here's what I got. First reason it holds up. Space is believable. You believe that it's in space. Two, the Ridley Scott connection. It reminds you a lot of the dark and gritty space that was in Alien not too long before. It's a Western. It's a Western, so it's got similar Western pacing. It's got good action that way. It breaks into a, a lot of uh, tropes of a Western, and that lends itself well to the, to the action-packed cop drama that it ends up being. Um, Dr. Lazarus. She's right. a fantastic uh, foil for our main character, the Marshal, and uh, their interactions are priceless. And she is not Alan Rickman from um, <laughs> Dr. Lazarus and Galaxy Quest. Um, <laughs> there's a kitchen hammer. <laughs> <laughs> what a savings. I, I, but I got the kitchen fight where Sean Connery reaches into a, po- a boiling pot of of. of water to get out the the drugs that are contraband so that he has evidence which he gets a whole lot of later anyway um (laughs) shotguns are the weapon of choice on this this mining colony because when you want miners to respect you you got to use a shotgun right um and you know i i kind of got a little later two of the reasons i've got um is i've got the balloon head explosions you know these these balloons that are heads exploding i thought it was only going to be one and imagine my surprise and delight when later in the movie it happened again. <laughs> <laughs> but, but beyond that, I also want to give a shout out to Mustache Guy and uh, Bad Baseball Cap Guy, right. the, the, uh, <laughs> the replacement killers. And those guys, uh, they rock their look in a way that you know, you, you know that those are the guys. You're not going to get them mistaken with anybody else. That one guy looks like a rat. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice everybody on this, on this planet or moon, whatever it is, everybody needs a haircut except Sean Connery. Yeah, I mean everybody's yeah, hair just, is just big and frizzy, and you got the one guy that looks like Fred Willard. It's crazy. But you know, like I really believe that time was passing too because he never shaved, and at mm-hmm. first he just has a mustache and kind of a little bit of a beard, and then it becomes kind of like a full-on beard with maybe a little bit off his cheeks, and it really gave me the feeling that that days and days are passing, and he doesn't have time to clean himself up. Right. I like that. Cool. And I like you. Is that all you got? <laughs> After mustache guy and bad hair guy, um, which is kind of a throw to uh, to um, mean guns there, bad <laughs> hair guy, baseball bat guy. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Forget about that. Can't forget about mean guns, man. We got to do that one soon. Oh yeah, that's coming for sure. No. Anyway, I, you know, I've got uh, really from there. I've just got you know the turtleneck is for the win at the end because right. he's, he's <laughs> a pretty nice 1970s turtleneck. And one last punch, you know. It, like you said, Duncan, it was a 70s movie and it told the story. But I think that one last punch where it was like, you know what? I'm just going to punch the bad guy. And then he falls into a table. Mm. That's definitely an 80s trope. Definitely. The bad guy 100%. falls into a big like mud puddle. And he, you know, instead of it being, well, you know, everybody in the, in the place is still against him. It's, well, he just punched the bad guy. So I guess it's over. <laughs> <laughs> the end. I've got two things to add. One, creepy kid. Creepy kid. So Becky and I were watching this, and we even said maybe it was intended for a younger kid, <laughs> and they couldn't get him. So they got this kid, 
And they're like, yeah, just let him say, I love you, daddy. I love you, daddy. I miss you, daddy. It's like, shut up, kid. You're right, though. I mean, like. It's almost like it's for a younger kid to say, but you get creepazoid sitting there saying it, you know. Right. So, weird. The other thing I've got is when they're diagnosing the blood sample. And they get all this information from that one little, <laughs> that one little picture. <laughs> Future tech, man. Man, I don't know how to create some kind of new molecule. <laughs> and it's just this one little picture, and they're giving you like sheets and sheets of analysis from it, and you don't see any words anywhere. It's just well, it's and a she picture. just keeps typing the function keys. <laughs> you know, wait, hold on. She's just hitting the same keys, man. It's awesome. Duncan, what do you think? What else? Um, so, yeah, for me, the score, I think um, Dr. Lazarus definitely is is there as something which this movie needs. It's that small bit of levity um, in a movie which is incredibly serious. Um, I think the, the idea of the Wild West in space, you know, the kind of OK Corral right. sort of scenario works really well. It, 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 it's handled exactly the way it should be and they make use of you know they use the sci-fi element when they have to use the sci-fi element in this movie I was going to say sci-fi elephant and I thought that is the coolest name for a band ever awesome Um, yeah I want to be in a band called sci-fi elephant Uh, but I'm already in a band that we can't talk about but if you go and check it Facebook you'll see it Um, (laughs) with some other guys um, just just saying some other guys Um, but the to me, when they need to go out and do space, they need to go and do that. And it's shot in such a way that it, it feels entirely believable. Um, yeah, I think you have characters who are given a lot more time to develop than than most movies would give them. Um, and even the ones that we only meet for for a couple of scenes here or there are interesting enough that you will you kind of start to get a feel for, for who they are. You know, you kind of start thinking, well, I think you might be playing both sides. Oh, you are playing both sides. That's excellent. Um, and the final reveal of the yeah. last person to get to help him is one person I never expected in a million years, which is kind of a pleasant surprise. The tagline for the movie is amazing. Even in space, the ultimate enemy is man. <laughs> nice. <laughs> which, is, oh. which is true. <laughs> like, and just the fact of Peter Bull being in it. I'm, I'm a big Peter Bull, Bull fan. but He's uh, brilliant. He's worst, brilliant in this. Worst name in movie history but still <laughs> I, I love it like from the first moment the first conversation <laughs> that he has after welcoming um, the, the marshal on the station is basically to put him in his place right? and that's what sets up that like you don't I would like to think on some level that that's why Sean Connery takes such an exception to what I, I believe he is a lot you know a lawman and all the rest but as soon as he finds out that this drug thing probably has been handled from the top that's it because Peter Boyle told right. him off earlier on in the movie, and he's having none of it. Um, yeah, I, just, I think it's. I just think it's a really, really, really good movie, regardless of genre or anything. I think. Right. Uh, I think Danny hit the nail on the head. This movie surprisingly stands up. Yeah. Really, really, really well, and it shouldn't. I, I mean, it, it did cost a pretty penny for back in the day, but nowhere near as much as some of the sci-fi epics which were coming out, like your Aliens or your 2001s or anything like that. This one was a slightly more modest affair at $16 million, but um, the money went to all the right places. Right. It's awesome. Well, I, 
you know, I wouldn't call it claustrophobic like Alien, mm-hmm. but I would call it, you know, like they do a really good job of making it very desperate. Right. You know, yeah. like all these people are hopeless and, and like the only, you know, you get the, the whole feeling that like it's just waiting for something to set it off. Yeah. I, yep. Yeah, I love it, and I, I appreciate you recommending it because I'm glad to have seen it now. Me too. I'm, I'm, it just gives great revisiting and, and getting to enjoy it on a different level. When I saw it as a kid, I didn't understand half of it. Now it's awesome. Yeah, that's my job done, right? That's that's me. I can go now. That's right. We don't have any other amazing movies talking about oh, no, sort of fighting the mortals with Queen playing in the background. Do we? There's, that movie doesn't exist, does it? No, there's no such thing. So wait, Queen. <laughs> Oh, we should we, too. We got <laughs> flash dance. That's the greatest promo, honestly. It's the greatest promo in the history of promos. And that end that gets me like I cackle away at my desk like a madman at work every time I hear that. I, flash I appreciate dance. you saying that, Duncan, because all the editing that you complimented—that's entirely all Rick. But but I wrote that promo, so I'm happy. That's right. That's how we work. <laughs> All right, let's give this thing a rating. All right, uh, I give it nine exploding heads in spacesuits. Oh, I, I was kind of going to go that way too, but yeah. no, okay, no, I'll, no, ch- I'll change was... mine. <laughs> I'll give I'll it give nine. It Peter Bull playing some weird kind of golf game. <laughs> yeah, I think they made that game. Like, <laughs> I think I've seen that somewhere before. I will give it. 15 packs of Drax from Robocop 2 hanging out in a big uh, frozen side of meat. <laughs> Drax. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know what they call it. It was Drax from that's Robocop 2. That's what it looks like. Yeah. All right, Duncan, what you got? I, I've got, uh, I'm giving this 21 creepy Connery kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and always. Awesome. Brian Blessed, what do you think? Gordon's alive. <laughs> All right. I think he liked it. <laughs> oh, man. All right, everybody, we'll be right back. There's no place like home, especially when you can't be there. That's why AYT is here for you, so you can remember what it's like to be home. With our current technology, you can see and hear your loved ones, even if they are planets away. Hi, Daddy. How are you doing? Great. Mommy let me stay up late because this is when the call came through. I miss you. Mommy says as soon as you get done, you're going to come home with us. I can't. Mommy says that on the flight, they put you to sleep for more than a year. That's true. Will it hurt? Yes. I'm going to sleep for my birthday. Can't you come home with us? I just can't. Not right now. I love you, Daddy. Oh, fuck. See you, Daddy. A, Y, and T. Because sometimes distance is a good thing. Hi, this is Sean Connery, and you are listening to the Hail Ming Power Hour. There can be only one. Hi, 
This is Christopher Lambert, and you are listening to the Hail Ming Power Hour. There can be only one. I already said that. Shut up! You're a liar! Welcome back, welcome back. So here's part two of the podcast with our special guest, Duncan McLeish, and I cannot thank him enough for bringing into this episode one of my all-time favorite movies, which is uh, Highlander 2, The Quickening. Hail Ming. Of course, I'm talking about the uh, 1986? Seven. Six? Six. The 1986, uh, Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery, my favorite Clancy Brown movie by Russell Mulcahy, the Australian director of many Duran Duran videos. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, give me a jump shot for that one. Hey, man. This guy did Arena for Duran Duran. And if you he don't did know Wild what, Boys. That's what I'm saying. If you don't know what Arena is, surely you remember the video for Wild Boys. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, again, it falls into the category of movies that probably wouldn't be made today. And it would be <laughs> it wouldn't be. It's a story that came out of left field. It's an untested commodity. It's about medieval fighting in a modern day setting with some kind of mystical energy that's occupying people who are fighting to the last for some kind of an, an esoteric prize that, that Man, spans Man, speak English. Years. Nobody knows what you're saying. <laughs> trying to speak my Bo Ransdale. No, really. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a movie that has its own mythology built in. And, and the great thing about it, and I watched it, and I told my wife when I was watching it, I really wish I could be watching it for the first time again. Mm. Because it doesn't explain anything to you. And right. as it kind of drip feeds you the story, it's just an amazing film that takes you on a journey. And again, thank you, Duncan, for picking this movie. Uh, I could not be happier with it. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know say it. Like, yeah, this one kind of feels like, I don't know, this one kind of feels, and I, I, people will be like that. Oh, yeah, of course, Duncan picked Highlander because he's Scottish <laughs> and he lives in a mud hut on a hill, which is not true. It's not true. I, I was going to ask if if the the flashbacks is what Scotland looked like, like yeah, well, but yes, a while ago, uh, <laughs> circa fifteen seventy nine or whenever it was. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's surprising how how accurate they get those parts for a movie like this. They could have glossed over it pretty easy and made it a caricature of what it actually is, but the. They do surprisingly do it more justice than a movie like Braveheart does. So there you go. Ah. Controversial statements from Duncan McLeish on your show. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate Braveheart. I absolutely hate Braveheart. That's an awful, awful movie. <laughs> and it's f- historically and factually completely incorrect. But yeah, that's that's a that's a story for a different show, ladies that's and right. gentlemen. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> Braveheart is a bunch of crap. Highlander. I'm going to say it right now. Is the truth. true Braveheart? <laughs> Try the Highlander. Is the true Braveheart? <laughs> never watching it again. <laughs> and I'm never watching Glory either. Denzel Washington, you're dead to me. <laughs> and I'm never watching Cocoon because obvious reasons. Yeah, screw you, Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> yeah, even Wilford Brimley can't make me watch that movie. <laughs> no, diabetes. Diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> While you're drinking some country time lemonade, take care of your diabetes. Hail <laughs> Ming. Hey, so so Braveheart sucks, but Duran Duran's awesome. I love Duran Duran. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to say it. 
Wild Boys. There you go. <laughs> nice mic drop there. Thanks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, so so true story about the video for Wild Boys. I, I had I had borrowed a uh, a pair of uh, toy handcuffs mm-hmm. at, at school from like a friend. It was one of the ones with the big like fake police handcuff key, and it had a little re- release latch. And I was playing with it like I was caught, and I was escaping from the the handcuffs and watching the Wild Boys video and on my television in my house. I right. jumped up on a table. I was swinging around the the one um, un buckled handcuff and my sister walked in the house and she gave me a look like the hell are you doing <laughs> and i just said wild boys man wild boys. <laughs> 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 don't die duncan i'm sorry <laughs> oh dear oh <laughs> It doesn't surprise me actually that the dude directed Duran Duran videos when you see this because there are whole sections of this movie yeah. that feel like a rock music video. Um, but that's yeah, that's not a slight against the movie. That's no, no. that's just accurately one hundred percent factual right. awesomeness. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We gotta have a synopsis. So <laughs> to give us a synopsis. Hope you're ready for this. We have our other crappy Christopher Walken. Oh, Highlander, a 1986 film, rated R, like 116 minutes long, action, adventure, fantasy, an immortal Scottish swordsman must confront the last of his immortal opponent, a murderous, brutal barbarian who lusts for the fabled prize, 7 out of point two. It's got the famous actor James Cos dot 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 mo. <laughs> the quote to remember is, "What are you looking at, Rachel? The eyes in the back of your head. People are asking about you. What am I supposed to tell them? Simple. Tell them I'm immortal." <laughs> oh. Now, hold on. (laughs) Oh, Oh, that's amazing. Oh, Oh, yeah. I I have a surprise synopsis for you. Okay. This is from... This is from Sheriff Pepper. (laughs) Sheriff J.W. Pepper here. Tell you about a movie called Highlander with Sean Connery and Christopher Lambert. It's about a Scottish helicopter pilot in competition to see who can land on the tallest building. The winner gets crowned the Highlander, and the man who loses gotta get his head chopped off in the whirly blades. These boys and their damn egos apparently there can only be one. So sit back and enjoy what's basically the Scottish version of Top Gun. <laughs> what's, what's happening here? Is this thing on? Are you even listening to me, boy? <laughs> oh. oh, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> oh. 
Andy sent me sent me that the other day, and I was just cackling, man. That's was that Blockley? That's Blockley, yeah. Oh, wait till I speak to him. That was Andy. I love you to bits, but that was awful. <laughs> He's been watching all James <laughs> Bond. So bad, but so amazing. It did awesome. <laughs> oh, Andy, well done, well done, sir. Is he like the 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 wolf sheriff from the Robin Hood Disney movie or what? <laughs> I have no idea. He just sent it. To well, me. I'll tell you. <laughs> oh my goodness. <sighs> which which gives me a new idea. I've been listening to this and I've been thinking about it, but I love what he just did right there. So, all you listeners out there, if you want to send fake synopsis that have nothing to do with the movies. <laughs> Send them in, man, because that's awesome. I love what he just did with that. I'm stealing his idea. That's the funniest crap I've heard in a long time. <laughs> so if you want to make fake synopsis that don't make any sense, send them to us. We love it. Oh, so good. So good. Uh, all right, Danny, it's all yours. Why do we watch Highlander? Well, I'm just going to start off with the very first reason to watch Highlander is the soundtrack by Queen. right it's it's mic drop worthy the soundtrack by queen and uh you can correct me if i'm wrong on this rick because you're the resident expert but uh, i do believe i heard the story that they asked for one or two songs right and and they said and they told him the concept of the movie and freddie mercury came back with uh, a whole album he said we'll do five (laughs) (laughs) i think they asked for asked for a song Uh and then when they saw some of the clips and started thinking about the idea they said we'll do five to me, and I had the sound bite, but I don't know what happened to it. But man, Prince is the universe. If that doesn't get the blood flowing, man, that's to me, that's one of the most awesome punches in the gut they ever wrote, man. That I watched the video for it this morning, uh, just because I could, and <laughs> and I, I, I'd forgotten that at the end, Freddie Mercury, you know, fights Christopher Lambert with swords. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's awesome, with with the sparks coming out of them, because, you know, they had to feed electricity into those swords yeah. to make the sparks come out, which they got shocked all the time doing those scenes. <laughs> I would imagine. No, I mean, they did. That's how they did that effect. Well, that's the reason you see Christopher Lambert at the end doing all that. <laughs> he's getting electrocuted. <laughs> That's why his hair was, is so messed up. That was real. And you know, like, like I, I want to hate Christopher Lambert, but I just can't. What about Mortal Kombat? Oh, he's, yeah. Love Mortal him. Mortal Kombat. He's the best thing about that Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> That's all he does. Either that or the, or the guy who's playing Kano, who's doing his best Vernon Wells impersonation. Oh, God. I gave her a cut from ear to ear. Oh, Roy Sonia. <laughs> what are you doing, you crazy cyborg? I didn't, really, you know, I played that game and I didn't realize he was a whatever that guy is. I don't think, I don't think anyone that made that movie had played that computer game, and that's why it is the way it is. I agree. <laughs> I'm really shocked, Danny, that you said the Queen soundtrack's number one because I sure would have thought it'd been something else. No, I mean because, like you said, the Princes of the Universe, the the music, and in rewatching it, I realized the music is set such a tone. Yeah. Right. It's such an right incredible from the start. Yeah. Right from the very start. Except like from the first beat of this movie, Queen kicks in and you like the it is it's huge sending. It's arena rock 
right. level, and you know, it kind of it sets the stage for the whole movie. And once again, like I was saying before, when you have that kick, and you can do whatever you want in your movie after that. That's right. And you know, like, like I said, I love this movie, and I love the the mythology of it, and uh, I, I love medievalism and and contemporary life. I loved all those concepts, but that music just just steals the show. It really does. And just the whole opening, man, going into the the wrestling match, which all you wrestling fans out there know, that's the fabulous Freebirds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to hate those guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was their gimmick, wasn't it? It was to be hated. But, man, I mean, think about just that whole setup. You get the action going on. You got Christopher Lambert sitting there. And then you get the quick flashback of the past during the, the crowd being all bar- barbaric and yelling at the wrestling match. Just what a setup for a beginning of the movie because you're just sitting there going, I have no idea what's happening right now. It's a juxtaposition of how far man has come, but at the same time, how little we have changed. Right. There's still, it's still crowds of people chanting at people hurting each other and that's essentially what you get with Queen playing in the background I love the fact that they're in a, a, a huge well lit stadium but when the camera zooms in and Christopher Lambert it's like the light is completely off apart from a spotlight in his eyes Man, <laughs> I love like it I love and he, it yes it's great it's, from the moment you see him it's like this is a guy that you need to be paying attention to right. um, he's so cool He's so this cool. is an early role for him. I mean, this he right. hadn't really done that much before this movie. And after this movie, he was cast in well, the movies that we've mentioned, which he, was, he became like a, a leading man. I mean, he did movies like Fortress, which you would never, right. he would never have got had he not been an Highlander. And that's the, this is the thing that blows my mind. And here's my reason for watching Highlander. And I think we'll touch on it more in more detail. But the casting of this movie Absolutely. is... It's nuts though. It's absolute. Think about. Let's let's look at this logically here, right? <laughs> we have a, an American Frenchman playing a Scot. We have a Scot playing an Egyptian Spaniard. We have Clancy Brown, the greatest American that has ever lived, playing a Russian warlord. And none of the accents work. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I literally have on my list, it says, cast craziness. <laughs> Clancy, Clancy Brown has, Clancy Brown's a great actor. I mean, like, incredible character actor, as oh, it right. has played. You know, like, it, he's been in some of my favourite movies ever, and has been the reason that these movies are some of my favourite, you know, movies ever. The Kurgan is arguably the greatest villain of the 1980s. Yeah. Like, with with a big bow on top of it, he is phenomenal. And the, the detail that goes into that character, from the already kind of gravelly voice to the the point where he's throat is slip, but not he's not decapitated, so his voice obviously becomes a more like... Uh, he's so scary. He is. It's so terrifying. Scary. The first time you see him, he's on a horse wearing armor and his head is like like a modified skull yeah. and yeah. the first thing is he's, 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 he's searching it for the character that we know is Connor McLeod he's, you know there's one called McLeod you know his name is Connor McLeod you're like this guy's terrifying and yeah. the first thing that I thought the very, I remember when I first watched this was right he's the odd one out everyone else is in kilts right who is this guy yeah, yeah. but I love the way they set up this whole movie this movie you're saying is like an, the perfect example of a movie that would never happen 
out with the 1980s. I will go one step further, and I think this is the epitome of the 1980s, where 1980s movie making was you could take so many weird elements and cram them into a blender and you know yep. blend them up, pour them in, and that's your drink. Um, this one does so much. I mean, goes crazy in all different directions, but somehow manages to make one of the most coherent action movies of the 1980s it does that yeah and and it it flows like that because it doesn't feel the need to explain you know mm-hmm. that the little voiceover from ramirez at the beginning is the only explanation you have and then from there on out you know it goes from the wrestling match to he's in the garage fighting some guy with sword awesome that that's it it goes straight into it and i loved it i, I was yeah. like why are these two guys in a parking garage Fighting with swords, and he knows that he's going to fight with swords because he says to he says Fazil, wait. That that's yeah. and and then he pulls the and I, and let me just say for a minute, Armand Fazil, I love that guy. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> he was the, the first immortal you meet, and his whole style is I'm going to throw stuff at you, and I'm going to hide behind <laughs> things, and I'm going to run away, and I'm going to turn somersaults like a lunatic. Yeah. Everybody else has got this straightforward fighting style, like, like, oh, well, I'm going to fight you w- with all the skills I've learned. Not Fazil. That's why he's lasted as long as he has, because <laughs> he hides behind stuff. He waits <laughs> till you give yourself. He knocks your sword away and then, like, tries to chase you down. He laughs while he's doing it, too. He's <laughs> laughing at him. And I just, I love his whole, his whole confrontational style where he's just any advantage. You know, right. any advantage he can, he's going to use it. I don't the, mean the like... The Zeal character originally in the in the kind of source material for the original book, um, him and McLeod are very well known to each other. In fact, they are non-aggressive towards each other. Like, they, they both see each other from time to time, but they don't engage in any sort of... It's kind of more cordial and all the rest. And it makes sense when you see that, but he's like, wait... Because yeah. when they first see each other, you know, you, you you don't know what's going on. And he doesn't look overly surprised to see him. But when he realizes why he's there, it's like, no, wait, let's not do this uh, sort of thing. Yeah. Which makes a lot more sense in the context. But you, exactly what you're saying, the fact that they don't give you that back kind of backstory or anything like that is not detrimental at all. If anything, no. it aids the story because it, it moves it along quicker. It, it doesn't bother to give you things that aren't important. And it doesn't even bother to give you things that are important. So mm-hmm. as you learn them, it pulls you along. It's a mystery. For you that haven't seen it, let me just try to explain real quick. <laughs> Two dudes fighting on top of cars with swords with lightning coming off of them. And a dude that, I mean, I'm not talking like one or two somersaults. I'm talking like 20, 30 in a row. Yeah, he's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. You get to the opening of this, you're going to watch this movie. And it, it looks 80s, you know, from McLeod with his tied-up trench coat and Fazil with his big old aviator sunglasses. Just forget about it. It's in the 80s. That's Deal right. with it. It's great. All right, what's next? Flashbacks. Sure. The flashbacks, switch, scene switches, first of all, they serve the purpose of telling his story as an immortal. Secondly, they're so well done. You know, after he fights Fazil, he throws his sword up in that, that thing and he's running away. And they pan up through the parking garage. And when they get to the other level of the parking garage, it's Scotland. And they do that same trick through a, a fish tank later. You know, right. they, and, and then he's in a lake. And it's just a great, really simple scene switch that takes you out of the present and into the past. I've got another reason. James Cosmo. Ooh. He's in the other movie that Duncan <laughs> hates. Yes, yeah, he, plays, he plays Angus. Oh, his 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 brother, his kinsman that uh that that helps him. 
Right. Yeah, he's the, he's the one that like because basically the Kurgan stabs him and he dies. But we obviously they lead on these last rites, and I love the idea of he's he's kind of he's not his wife, but he's he's woman is crying over them, and he's like that. He's a Highlander. Yeah. The last thing he needs to hear on this planet is you know the sounds of a a crying a woman, wailing woman, wailing, yeah. a wailing woman, and they they drag her out. But when he comes back to believe that he's in league with Lucifer. As they, as they say it, um, and the devils possessed them, and the uh, we get a good old fashioned Scots banishing, where <laughs> where someone gets a bit of wood shoved on the back of their neck, tied to it, and then everyone throws stones and all the rest, and he steps in to to save yeah. them, to, to save right. them, and basically yeah. allows them to be exiled, still alive. Burn him, burn what? him, and that's what, and and then he says he says, can you walk? And he says, "Oh, bloody well, walk out of here." <laughs> I, I love, I love that line. And and that woman, the woman that you just mentioned, the the redhead. You know, at yeah. first she's she's like, "Keep him alive, I love him." And yeah. then she's like, "Oh, he can't die." And then you know, of course, he's in league with Lucifer. She does a one eighty. Um, Another reason to watch the movie. Go for it. Yeah, as Sean Connery. Obviously, we've been talking about him for the previous movie and right into this one. Right, if we get past the ridiculous outfit that he's wearing, if we get past the fact that he is one of the most ridiculous names, Juan Sanchez, Villa Lobos Ramirez, um, and the fact that he is an Egyptian who is the chief metallurgical person to the, the king of Spain. The king of Spain. <laughs> To the King of Spain, but somehow is on loan to Scotland, uh, where he's just taking a jolly up to Scotland to, to find the Highlander to train him because he has heard um, of this new immortal that the Kurgan has tried to kill, but he's been exiled. So he makes his way there to, to essentially save him. But he is a great character in this because through him, you get all the excitement of of immortality but at the same time you get all the all the woe as well when he's regaling that story about how he got his sword and he's um his last love yeah shikiko who met over two thousand years ago in japan um and when he tells that whole story about basically he stayed with her until she died and her father had made this one of a kind sword, which plays a bit more of an of a B storyline right. through this with the Roxanne Hart character. Um yeah. but when he's explaining that over to him, you through that character you get this full fully realized picture of what immortality is. Right. Um this idea that you know you can if you want, you can be tripped off a boat and pocket walk at the bottom of the ocean. Um or you know you can you can sense the heartbeat of other animals. You can you can live life to the fullest and do whatever you want and not be, you know not be be scared of death minus losing your head. But this idea that that comes at a price and that price is that you can't have kids and you know you you will outlive everyone that you love. And I I love the idea and we'll just throw it in here. Who wants to live forever? By right. Queen, those scenes with with oh, Heather, yeah. and as as I'm like I I'm known for having a bit of a heart of stone, but even I get a lump at the back of my throat at that bit. I mean, it's mm. it's incredible. I, the movie, the movie. This is a a B movie <laughs> about right. like medieval guys with swords that are fighting for some weird prize, like you were saying, esoteric prize. While Queen plays in the background, this movie should not have depth. And this movie has incredible depth. Yeah. 
and yeah, like but, but a lot of that is played through Sean Connery, and he he plays yeah. he takes a lesser role in this movie, but he bookends this movie as well. It's his voice you hear right at the very start. It's right. his voice that you hear right at the very end. One dirty Sanchez, that's what I call him. <laughs> yeah, just just like Stoneheart Duncan over here said, you know, it's it's a it's a love story that's that's wrapped up in it, and and I think you put two points in there together that I had. One is uh, Sean Connery as a fop, you know, with his earring and, and his, his flamboyant behavior and, and the montage. The montage oh, yeah. where he teaches him to fight and to be an immortal. It's great. It's big yeah. sweeping scenes, big rocky outcroppings in the ocean and the beach. And, and at the end, they run with the stag. And he's, <laughs> he's flexing his hands. Feel the stag. Feel him. You know, it's, oh, it's just awesome. <laughs> It's the best. <laughs> and just, hey, let's you and I climb this mountain for five days, and we'll just fight on top of it. <laughs> and he disarms him there with, with the old McLeod sword that says McLeod on it. Yeah, it's like the claymore that he's fighting with in that one. And the thing is as well, we take we take for granted the... the essentially when we see McLeod in modern day, he's fighting with Ramirez's sword, which is right. this amazing... Katana Samurai Sword Blade um, but I, I love the attention to detail as well about that if, of course if McLeod was fighting in Scotland you know, during that time he would have a claymore so that makes perfect sense it's, it's small small attention to detail which which really sell the movie f- for me um, and we don't we don't need too much backstory, but the backstory we get is mostly anecdotal, occasionally through flashback. And what blows my mind about this is, I mean, how many movies do you know that have spawned, I think it's four movie sequels, as right. it stands just now, with the potential of a remake, plus a long-running TV show? Yeah. yeah. So and, an TV, and that TV show went on for a while. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. from this... It- crazy quirky idea it's, it's nuts yeah well it's such a simple concept you know it's a tournament played out over eternity between these these immortals who have powers to sense each other and you know and, and they're all fighting because they want to make sure that you know their interests are sealed at the end of this thing it's yeah. such a simple concept that you can do so much with it which is why the second one is so confusing yeah because they chose to do nothing from the first one. But like I said, you know, the, the director had seen that it played its way out, wanted to do something different. And I can kind of appreciate that, except it just didn't work. Right. It's quickening. <laughs> I love that as well. It's, it's, just, it's just referred to as, you know, the quickening and the prize. And we don't know what it is until the very end. Um, so we, we, all we know is these guys are fighting instinctually and killing each other off for a prize that they don't know what it is which is the weirdest thing ever right. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's not like is it a trophy, is it a medal is it a you know, complimentary fruit basket, no, 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 we'll find out at the end of the movie um, <laughs> and we, we get the, the, the chunk between the two time periods I think works the, the, bit, the bit for me that I think and it it doesn't work as well, but I, you know, I, I like it being in the movie because it plays a more prominent role at the end. It's basically the the kind of B movie kind of thread flirting through here with Brenda. This is B plot. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> is that the the B plot with Brenda and our obsession with swords 
uh, and all the here, rest. Here's my book about metallurgy yeah. and sword making. Yeah, yeah. So she's there basically to to kind of poke into the story of who Connor McLeod is, or what's his name, Russell Nash. Um, she's there to, to to kind of facilitate information to us through her investigations that prompts you know, uh, McLeod to do more searching back over things that have happened. And that is fine. That's, you know, that's fine. I, I just don't think she's the greatest actress. <laughs> um, I, yeah. would, I would much rather have swapped her. Uh, if she could do a Scottish accent, she I would happily have her as Heather and have a, a, the, the woman that plays Heather as, you know, as the main role because she's far more, far more interesting. Although, with a broad Scottish accent, I Connor, um, but it's a yeah I, I, that that bit for me, and it's it's not like I say it needs to be there in the movie. I just think whenever they're doing that sort of thing, I'm like that. Let's get back to the sword fights. <laughs> yeah. I can't stop laughing. What did I do? <laughs> Complimentary fruit basket. <laughs> Could you, know you imagine? I mean? Could you imagine fighting for all these thousands of years? <laughs> and at the end, somebody comes and goes, "Here you go." It's like someone comes out. Someone comes out in like one of those those, those get ups with the, the the feathered headpiece and the the tiara suit and all the rest. They come out. And they give you the fruit basket, and the first thing he says, "Why is there no pineapple?" You know, I love pineapple. What do you mean pineapple was too expensive? Why is there only bananas, grapes, and apples in here? Which is funny because the apple in the in the sequence when uh, he's um, he's he's doing the doing the nasty to Heather um, just before we meet Ramirez, there is a clearly shop bought apple on the plate. It's not an apple that would be grown from a tree back then. It looks entirely far too pristine. Mm. An apple. I, I, I couldn't. I was just waiting to see if there was a label stuck on the side of it, right? Uh, you know, like Chiquita or something like that. It was just. It, it's it's weird, but yeah. I mean, let's let's let, let's talk about another thing, which I think really sells this movie because the sword fighting in this movie is not great see when people are hearing like sword fighting they're like oh right. yeah, yeah. they think about other movies from this time period which have you know incredible martial arts or sword fighting and all the rest or movies yeah. that you see now but to me the sword fighting is realistic right. <laughs> um, it, like that guy that we're talking about Fazil at the start is a coward so he's not going to be a great sword fighter Um and you, you know, like McLeod sword fighting is sloppy at the beginning, but by the end, I love that scene. I know I'm jumping all over the place now, but when Sean Connery is is facing off with the Kurgan, and he cuts his throat and he pulls the sword back, like at an angle, so basically the sword is horizontal with his eye line, right. and it kind of almost like a samurai pose, right. and. Connor um, pulls exactly the same thing when he does his, I think it's his first slice along the belly of the Kurgan at the end, pulls exactly the same pose. And that makes sense because Ramirez taught him how to fight with with a sword. Right. Like, I, like I said before, small attention to detail. It might seem like I'm just kind of, you know, well, right, that's just an incident. No, it's not insignificant. It makes sense. Right. It makes 100% sense. And those things just make me love the movie even more, that someone would take the time, care, and consideration to put that into a movie, which, like I say, essentially is a B-movie. Um, but to do that is, is is awesome. Let's look for a minute about that that first fight between Ramirez and, and Kurgan, because I just want to point out that, you know, regardless of the fact that, you know, like you said, the uh, the 
sword fighting is more realistic. You know, he's using a very fine blade and he cuts him and then he barely doesn't cut his head off. But like Kurgan just hammers people. Yeah. And and like first he busts through that big styrofoam door. <laughs> then he busts that big styrofoam table. And then like all the way up that castle, he's swinging in and, and he's busting out the big styrofoam rocks. And not only that, but like the rocks aren't going outward. They're, They're falling in. inward. Yeah. Right? And so like, but it doesn't matter because that's such a great fight. Like watch the whole thing. Like they're so monumentally powerful that as they fight, you know, especially Kurgan, he is, he must've killed several immortals. He's got all this power. And every time he swings, it's just, it's just laying waste right. to everything around him. And that whole yeah. fight scene, they destroy that whole tower. Mm-hmm. In that you fight. see it in the background because they have to move house, and as the as the later sequences show, when the the camera pans up, it's a ruin in the background. No one's rebuilding that. <laughs> you know, as to that's a casualty of war. But the the implication at the end of that, and it's relayed right at the end of the movie, is that you know the the Kurgan wants to know who Heather is, and you know right. Ramirez claims it's his woman, right. Right. Um, because he knows that if he says it's McLeod's woman, that should be basically used as a pawn to get McLeod. Right, so he right. does that, knowing that the worst thing that will happen, and the, uh, the horrible thing to say anyway, the worst thing that will happen to her is she's probably going to be raped. And she lives with that in yep. silence so much so that McLeod only finds out at the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, is just ah, oh, and he's such a baddie. He's such a villain. He walks he into the church. He walks into the church, the church and puts scene, out yeah. every single candle with his hand while laughing while doing it. Yeah. And just before that was seen, McLeod light a candle for Heather's birthday, which he does every single year and has been doing it for centuries. And he snubs them all out as if you know, just this means nothing to him. It's it's all a it's all a game to the Kurgan, uh, and I think that's what makes him. Just like a, like the vilest villain, you know, out of the all nineteen eighties movies, he's the epitome. He's the alpha villain. He's got all the safety pins like shoved <laughs> through the uh, through the scar on his neck because he's trying to blend and he's trying to be a punk. So he shaved his head terribly, and that is a bad <laughs> skull cap, by the way. It's a hellish <laughs> skull cap. It's all knobbly because you can see that there's hair underneath it um, but you know he's, he's done this he's put all the safety pins through so he can pass as a punk because he's in disguise and you're like alright it's all right, amazing how he gets scarier as it goes oh, on he's terrified he really but is this movie I mean, he's like terrified he earlier, also has one of the greatest lines oh yeah in this movie, when uh, the prostitute comes in and says, hi, my name, my name's Candy. And he goes, of course it is. And you're like, oh. <laughs> I don't want to know what happens to Candy, but I just know that it's not nice. And that and, whole and the- scene, too, with him warming up with the sword and everything in that room. <sighs> oh, amazing. incredible. But the introduction to him, when he's pulling in, or the introduction in the, in the contemporary story, right. when he's in the car and, he's, and he's, he's pulling in, and he just says, at last... The Gathering. You know, it's just, it, and, and he pops in the cassette tape, you know, and it starts playing Queen, but it's just, he's he's so, his presence makes him such a great villain. And yeah. he, he basically, other than Fazil, I mean, he, he kills Castigir, who's the only other immortal that's introduced at The Gathering. The, mm. the immortals, I don't know how many there were, but man, there are only like four of them that make it to The Gathering. 
If you yeah. if you watch the TV show, there was literally one every week for yeah. yeah. <laughs> many, well, I, was, many I, years. I, I have I have a hard time like like mixing all of my media for for my my mythology. I kind of like to keep them separate because it's so hard to keep them put them all together. Yeah, it's it's cool that you don't like. It's cool that you don't know that as well, and it's cool that the you know, you get an indication that Ramirez is old until you find it that the Kurgan's probably the oldest out of the lot because the, when um, Ramirez talks about them, he talks about them as one of the oldest tribes. Yeah. yeah. Of uh, so, so we have to assume that he is the oldest. The reason he has lasted so long is because he's so ruthless and he, he targets someone and he goes after them. So we can only assume, you know, there has been thousands of these throughout time and it makes sense that you know this pool that they'd all be pulled to the one place that there would only be a couple left um what what blows my mind is and it, it kind of adds to that that the charm of fazil as a character is he's one of the ones that survives to the end you know yeah. what i mean you've got yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's that, because that's, that's it's why just, i love that that whole fight in the in the parking garage because it's the gathering they're there at the end you know all bets are off and this guy who who obviously does everything and anything he can. Like he's a great first fight. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you ever played a video game and you're fighting all the other fighters, Armand Fazil is the first fight, you know, where you learn all your joystick moves and you you know, like because he's he's got a gimmick, but his gimmick is, well, I run away, and then when you come around a corner, I try and chop your head off real quick. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. just all those all those things. You're set piece for, in fact, every major fight is is really cool. Whether it's the the fight in the the car park, it's the fight with Ramirez and the and the the tower. Uh, whether it's the the first interaction between McLeod and the Kurgan in Scotland, but then their second encounter in a disused abandoned construction yard. Yeah. Um, or whether, and that's a great scene with the police helicopter when everyone yeah, yeah. starts running away and they're just like, oh, wait, where are you going? Come back here. <laughs> um, or whether it's a Kurgan facing off against the, the other immortal whose name escapes me. Yeah, uh, out in the alleyway. Yeah, Castigir. Um, and then obviously setting up for that final fight. That final fight is incredible because right. of the amount of locations we go through. So we start on top of that building and then that building gets flooded and there's electricity everywhere. But when they drop through the the ceiling light and land on the ground and you have a giant glass yep. paned window in the background with that blue hue shining through it and you have these silhouettes, these two fighters fighting, it works twofold. The first fold is it gives you that classic, almost on some level, that kind of classic kind of martial arts Japanese feel of, of, of kind of screen panes with light through them and two warriors fighting in front. Right. Um, so it gives you that handle. But second, it's perfect for the actual end when he receives the prize so you can blow every single window right. for extra effect. Just phenomenal. <laughs> Once again, like, it, it works I've so got, well. Uh, in my notes, I had all fights in general, <laughs> and <laughs> and also had Kill Bill ripped off the scene you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I, I don't think for one second. I mean, I know that that that, that scene has appeared in yeah, uh, Japanese yeah. martial arts sure. movies before, and Tarantino will say that. But yeah. I know that Tarantino uh, has has a bit of a a soft spot for Highlander. So oh, you've yeah. got to think on some level. It's in there as well, and it works. I mean, it's it's, it's incredible as a if if once again if we're using Danny's video game 
kind of comparison, that's how you would, that's how your final fight would be. It'd be over several different platforms and would end right. up in an epic battle uh, like that. And it works, it works really well. But once again, with it being too ridiculous, um, which which I quite like, the, the the end fight scene ultimately comes down to it's it's a few slices across the belly and then one across the throat, and that's what finishes it. Um, it's not this where they're basically stabbing each other and chopping limbs off and all the rest because we don't need to do that in this movie. Yeah, we just right. need to we just need to get it to to where we need to get it to finish the movie. And like I say, Clancy Brown is legitimately fifty percent of why this movie kicks ass. Right. Like like on his shoulders, you need that you need that supreme villain to make it, and he almost embodies uh, Schwarzenegger's Terminator. Right. And the way he looks, the way he acts, the scenes in his hotel room, um, it's like they borrow quite a bit. They almost kind of steal and rip off that idea to put it in this movie, yeah. but it totally works. Um, and it makes it just it's all these small elements. I mean, Sean Connery's the biggest named actor in this movie, yeah. um, and they do the old psycho thing where they kill him off when you don't expect him to get killed off, yeah. uh, kind of near the start of the movie. Yeah. Um, but he's there just as a he's the name to get people through the door right. um, to see this movie, and he's the one that sets up the the kind of backbone for for our character and how he's going to move forward. Um, and Lambert, like he, he's not he's not a great actor, but he does he, he doesn't have to be. He's decent. Yeah, he doesn't doesn't have to be great in this movie to make it convincing. And like I see where he's he's sitting with Heather and Heather's dying of old age emotional impact, where we see him saying goodbye to Rachel and all the rest, he's never gonna come back once again. Emotional clout, it's there. So he's not doing it, it's everything else, it's the music in the background, it's the scenario, it's the setup. Um but it works it works really well. I I think a, a general like, bold statements like epitome of 1980s movies are, are, are things that I like to do. I like to be controversial and throw statements out there, but I genuinely think it is the epitome of what the 1980s allowed you to do with movies, sure. which was bringing everything from anywhere and combine strange things that shouldn't mesh. Um, well, it's, I, it's the MTV generation. That, yes. Yeah. You know, we were taking that idea of not only taking music and putting visuals to it, now it's starting to bleed over into the movies as well. And I yeah. think it's a prime example of that time period for sure. Definitely. And the, the one thing you take away from this movie 100% is you would not want to be in the car with a Kurgan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those two, those two, when he sits down beside the old woman and goes, Mom, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> It's awesome. <laughs> um, hey, so I've I've got a, a, a something to propose to you guys. Do you guys want to take your your top reasons for watching the movie and go in succession? Like I can do one, Rick, Duncan, and we do like a couple of sentences each and just keep fireballing. Yeah, that'd be that'd be something different. Let's try it. I'm done. All right, I'll start out with my first one that I already said: the Queen soundtrack. Can I have the same one? Yep. Queen. <laughs> Duncan. <The> queen. <laughs> All right, that's our show, folks. <laughs> All right. My second point, flashback scene switches. They're all done really well. They move the story along from the previous past into the contemporary present. All right. My favorite flashback is when he's dueling. 
Yeah. Oh, with Richard E. Grant. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I called your wife a fat warthog. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my favourite flashback is actually my favourite flashback is when Ramirez dies. Even though he's my favourite, he's like my favourite. It's Sean a great Connery. fight. It's, it's, like, it's, it's a phenomenal fight because you think for a second there Ramirez might actually win, and then you realise that doesn't make any sense because the Kirkins in the future and Ramirez isn't. Right. Uh, but you think for a second when he does that slice, you're just like, oh yeah, Sean Connery, you can do this, and then you realise you can. So yeah, that's my favourite flashback is that whole sequence uh, and when when the Kirkin comes in and just starts destroying a lot of styrofoam. <laughs> yeah, styrofoam. Like in Superman 2. All right. So, uh, my, my third thing, I've got Sean Connery as a fop with his red outfit and his earring. He's kind of dressed like that, uh, that the fish dude in Necronomicon. <laughs> yep. Big wicker he hat. <laughs> He's all wet. That was my next one was Dirty Sanchez. The Kurgan. The Kurgan is the greatest villain in 1980s cinema history. Clancy Brown is it's completely different. He's unrecognisable. You would not know it was Clancy Brown until you saw the credits. It's complete makeover transformation, and he's evil, so evil. All right. My next my next reason to watch the movie is the first quickening, when he beats Armand Fazil, oh, yeah. and all the cars go crazy, and all the windows <laughs> bust out, and he screams. My next one is uh, the interrogation scene, when they pick him up. You a fag, oh. McLeod? <laughs> Why are you cruising for a piece of ass? <laughs> well, I didn't know Cheech Marin was in this movie. Yeah, the, oh, you know who is in it, though? The guy who played Gideon, the uh, the pawn shop owner from The Crow. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's eating some Doritos, and I looked at that Dorito bag. I, I had to, to like freeze frame it and go get my wife. We and did go, the same thing. Doritos bag. We did the same thing. My wife was like, look, that's what they used to look like. <laughs> uh, we're Americans. All right. Uh, my uh, my next one is the small black man in the in the hotel lobby. This is Dasani. He's brilliant. All right. In awesome. that same vein, I'm gonna have to say the guy selling newspapers. Hey, what does incompetent mean? <laughs> what does no leads mean, man? <laughs> I think he was the shrunken head from the Harry Potter movie too. <laughs> My next one is the church scene. That's just awesome. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it's because it. it has it's nuns. Awesome. We all get excited when nuns are on the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, isn't he like flicking his tongue at him? <laughs> nuns. No sense of humor. You know, y- y'all have y'all have gotten through a lot of the uh, the ones that I had too. I mean, I got duels being the Fraser versus the McLeods, McLeod versus Kurgan, Ramirez versus Kurgan, Castigier versus Kurgan. And uh, McLeod and Kurgan in the final battle. I love when, uh, when McLeod goes underwater and realizes he can breathe. And when he's sitting there, the zombie there comes happened? up to him. And then he swims away, and then the zombie starts fighting a shark. Yeah. <laughs> that was Damn Lucio man. Fulci's Highlander. Fulci's Highlander. <laughs> oh, man. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? <laughs> Be a whole lot of maggots in that movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so like I've got the um, the car with the terror ride with Brenda, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
That's a reason to watch the movie, although it's cringeworthy. Whenever I watch it with somebody, I'm kind of like, it's, it's kind of, uh, I don't know. It just, it, it, something about it seems a little dated more than the rest. I don't what know. about fake army man vigilante? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that guy for a minute. He's brilliant. He's like, because he obviously comes across a Kirkin um, and, uh, and fighting and decides that he's going to interject. Uh, but the greatest thing about that sequence is when he's trying to tell the cops and the cops believe he's a wacko. And he's like, no, there's one more thing that I have to tell you. And we see the outside of the conversation. So we don't actually see the words, but you see the cops' reactions. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Once again, in there for comedic effect. And this movie has that. It, it has everything. Right. Man. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't work nearly <laughs> as well as it does, guys, honestly. The math doesn't add up. <laughs> so, so then I've got, I've got the, uh, the great big final epic battle in front of the silver cup sign. Right. And in front of kind of the big neon sign. And like they even bust some of the letters off of it, don't they, when they're fighting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's loads that fall down. I mean, there's there's nothing more epic than fighting on a great big lit up sign and having it fall down and stuff. That's just th- then there's the prize, right? Which you know was the basically what every Nazi in uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark got. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's the the entire knowledge of the world yeah. and the ability to procreate. Yeah, and, uh, and you are now mortal. So, which which, which is, if you believe, kind of uh, sucks. <laughs> You know? If you believe the second one, then you know he didn't even get a chance to use that ability to procreate. Well, they didn't get the. If you believe the second one, he didn't get all the knowledge in the world either. Or his experiment wouldn't have failed. <laughs> That's a good point. Although it technically doesn't fail at the end, there's some weird, like movie logic as to how it works. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's probably the same uh, logic at the end of, of uh, Total Recall when those those big iron things like melt the <laughs> ice on Mars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in the, the when because you don't you don't know what the prize is. Even when he's well, he kind of when he, he alludes to it when the the final quickening happens and all the kind of weird demon creatures, if we can call them that, right, are flying yeah. in and out of them, and he's you know he's screaming you know that I you know all the knowledge in the world, and you know this is the quickening, I feel it, and it's all coming into me, and all the rest I, that kind of mentions it, but it's elaborated on it at the at, at the very end of the movie, and that's yeah. basically what they're fighting for. And then um, he goes, "Oh, wait a minute!" It's not anticlimactic at all. Actually, I think it's that when I heard that, it's like I say, it's not a fruit basket, but you know, it's a start. <laughs> if if uh, the end of this movie had been an Alanis Morissette song, he would have got all the knowledge in the world and been made mortal and stood outside and got knocked over by a bus. <laughs> Oh. It's, it's not ironic. No, it's not ironic, Alanis Morissette. It's called Unfortunate. So it's your inability as a Canadian to understand what irony is, which is a distinctly British thing. Sorry. <laughs> no, oh, I'm sweet with you. irony. <laughs> I don't want to go on my Alanis Morissette rant, but too many forks when all you need is a knife or too many spoons. That's un- unfortunate. That is not irony. Like a fly in your Chardonnay, that is unfortunate. That is not irony. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no. My my wife's an English teacher. I I know exactly what you're talking about, and, I, and we've had this conversation. Um, not that we talk about Alanis Morissette a lot. <laughs> a whole generation of kids. The only thing Alanis Morissette is good for is dogma, where she plays a silent god. 
I love dogma. Dogma's Dogma's awesome. Amazing. And and you might not understand this being stone hearted, but but I cry every time I watch Dogma. You do? Yeah. I cry a lot. I don't cry. That and that's a bad thing. No, I, well, you know, people are different. I cry every time I watch Groundhog Day too. Yeah. Really? When the when the old man dies, and no matter what he does, every day. Yeah, that is quite sad. It, it's 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 just it's it's heartbreaking. Um, um, so I'll, I'll throw in another one here. Um, yep. Reasons to watch Highlander. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if we've mentioned this one already. Queen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to be able to do that in time or not. Oh, I'm yeah. on top of Honest, it, man. That, that Queen I can also do. I know we've said it, we're going to come back and sit in. <laughs> but things got scary pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, on 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 this uh, on that whole Beastmaster moment there, I just wanted to point out that uh, in the Highlander TV series, Mark Singer did show up as one of the Immortals. Yes. All right. He was the country Immortal. McLeod, I had your woman. They took her chance. <laughs> and there was one guy who was an immortal who used like a like an Uzi and he would lure people into a room and then he'd try and cut their head off with like a hail of bullets. Wow. He didn't win, so <laughs> Hail Ming. And and the uh the Highlander in the show was Duncan. He oh. was Duncan McLeod of the there Clan McLeod played by Adrian Paul, I think that was Thank you. Uh, this is like six people that are Adrian Paul fans. Thanks. Uh, yeah, really it wasn't like- actually all that bad. I actually quite liked him as as an immortal. That TV show just suffered from it was that, the nineties. It suffers from that things that all TV shows happen when when you have a, a the same story every single week. Right, There's only yeah. so many times an immortal can appear to fight Duncan McLeod for him to win and then move on. Um, there was no, and then he started adding a lot of weird stuff into that. I, I kind of lost it, and like you say, it's a perfect example, Danny, is how sparse the mythology is. There is mythology there, but enough to get you through this story without you scratching your head too much or asking questions. Um, and every movie after this one, um, primarily kicking off with that second one, uh, every movie after this one in the TV show try to fill in blanks that don't need filled in. Um, yep. And that's right. where it all starts falling apart. A nice, crazy, contained first movie does everything you need to. Um, gets and gets out. Bitching Queen soundtrack. Amazing uh, villain. Amazing hero. Even though he's not a great actor. Uh, Sean Connery. The weird flashbacks. The headlights exploding. Car fights. Backflips. Uh, jewels. Nazis. There's a Nazi sequence yeah. in this movie because obviously we're dealing about you know, history, flashbacks, we need to have that in there. Um, you can have all that stuff and it can totally work. Uh, as, as a movie, being entertaining, emotionally impactful, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to one of my favourite, it's actually one of my favourite movies ever. The more, yeah. I, the more I've been talking about it, the more I realise that I actually can find very little in the way of anything that I dislike about this movie. Um, and I sometimes just forget about it. Right. I think it's just a given that it's Highlander. It's a great movie. Right. And the kids live it too, man. 
I, I, I did want to point out, like we were talking about um, Christopher Lambert, and I was like, you know, I've, I'd seen him once before because he was in Greystoke. Right. The, Le- the Legend of Tarzan. Absolutely. Uh-huh. And, and I really liked that. I saw that as a kid before I saw Highlander. And so I was kind of familiar with him. But, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, he plays kind of a silent dude in both of them. But um, I've always liked Christopher Lambert. Like I said, even though I kind of don't want to, I, I still just I can't help but like him. Sure. Oh, my wife loved him. I mean, it's, I saw Highlander so many times. I, Highlander. I'm getting <laughs> Remember, <laughs> I watched Highlander so many times just because she was really, really into either him or the movie. I think she really liked both. But uh, I think you guys are missing the obvious part of how he got the role as uh, as McLeod. It's because um, you know when they were speaking to him, they said you know yeah, some people refer to like you would say. Hi, McLeish. And I'd be like, oh, hi, Bennett. You know, these sort of things. And they said, hi, La- hi Lambert. And they were like, what? Hi, Lambert. And they were like, hey, what are you yeah, That was that a is, long that's way a, around. That is, that that is a, awesome. a huge that was good. heel thing. Um, didn't quite pay off like I heard in my head, but I'm glad that you laughed anyway. That no, goes no, to show great. how much respect you have for my nonsense. <laughs> but no, like Christopher Lambert is a... Is actually all right in this movie. Yeah. And um, if anyone loves the Coen brothers, he does make a special appearance in their new movie, Hail Caesar. Ah, cool. It's oh, quite yeah. funny. He's not aging well at all. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. He looks like he might get, you know, he's kind of thin. So the older he gets, he's going to get gaunt. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Hey, Duncan, I just want to say that was at, like a, about a two or three minutes ago. That was a kick ass synopsis of the movie that you yeah. did. He did your job. <laughs> that was great. It was fantastic. <laughs> So we want to give it a rating. Oh yeah, yeah this one, this one is twenty-five hairy haggises. All right, <laughs> a haggis. You eat it. I love the idea of an American telling a Scotsman what a haggis is, and the Scotsman yeah. being repulsed by it. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff. I want to give it uh, nine decapitated heads who, at this time, have no name. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to give it at least five Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez's. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even ten of them. Hell, man. With an earring. <laughs> McLeod, oh. we are brothers! <laughs> That guy right. shows up right after he makes love to his wife, like on a horse. And then he's yeah. all like, hey, you know that pain you felt? Awesome. We're brothers. As always, we got to ask Brian Blessed. You'll like this one. Brian Blessed, what do you think of this movie? Oh, well, who wants to live forever? <laughs> That's right, folks. Oh, well played, sir. Well yes, played. Topical. Yes, yeah. yes. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Welcome to Highlander Burger, where every meal is a prize. How can I help you today? Where, where did this place come from? I drive by here every day, and this restaurant has never been here before. I was passing by, and I felt an urge to check it out. 
There will come a time when many are drawn here for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. They'll be gathering any minute. I see the business is quickening. What do you have? Kurgan burgers? Kurgan burger is the special. For just two bucks more, you can make it a combo. All you gotta do is say, just give me the fries for a large side and an ice cold Zeist. You lost me at Zeist. Yeah, that happens a lot. What? Are those two guys fighting? It's the district manager's man. In the end, there can be only one. Well, I don't know what else to say, man. This has been incredible. We're still laughing, even though we've cut away to do some other things. This has been a blast having Duncan on here with us, man. I appreciate you coming on, man. No, thank you very much. It's everything I hoped it was going to be and more. <laughs> wow. A fruit basket. All right. A fruit basket. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> just give me the prize. Man, Duncan, if you will, just take take some time. Tell these people every ridiculous thing you do that's out there. <laughs> uh, oh, there's a lot. Um, I'll condense it down. Uh, my, my main show is the podcast Under the Stairs. You can check that out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast. Um, you can check us out on iTunes. Just type in podcast Under the Stairs. We're a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network, so you can check us out through there as well. I do the Midnight Horror Show, which is a live radio show, which kind of doubles up as a podcast you can check us out american time 7 eastern standard time every wednesday night at tmhsradio.com or search the midnight horror show on itunes and you'll be able to get some of the back episodes i have a show called chronicle which is on hiatus at the moment it's coming back for season two in just over two months' time. Um, so there'll be a lot of exciting stuff for that that coming up. Um, you can check that directly through Legion Podcast Network. Um, and, yeah, I'm probably missing things. Duncan and Bochum, <laughs> correct, is also on Legion. And, yeah, there's, uh, there's other things. that I, I'm everywhere and I'm he nowhere is. at the same time. Yeah, you probably... I know he was like that. You might have never heard of this guy. You probably heard my voice before and thought, oh, not again. <laughs> But um, he's here again. Why is he on every show? Um, but yeah, uh, there's there's plenty of stuff out there. I, I tend to do mostly horror, so it's it's been a great experience on this show, chatting about movies out with that genre that I love. So once again, can't thank you enough, Ricky and Danny. Thank you for inviting me on. Uh, same here, man. I mean, we thank you for just helping us with everything, getting us started, and answering all my stupid questions and. Like I said earlier, this show wouldn't have happened if 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 I wouldn't have bothered you to death about stuff and uh, just made this thing happen. So <laughs> you're kind of responsible for this monster. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this, why, why did I get the feeling that I'm being kind of suckered into some sort of mafia Costa Nostra situation <laughs> where I vouched for you? And if something <laughs> bad happens in a Donnie Brasco type scenario, I end up getting the chop. That's right. <laughs> we don't have enough money to be uh, organized criminals. But I will say it has been a, a genuine joy to have you on the show, Duncan. You, your your laugh is infectious, and your input on the movies is is amazing. It's been exceptional to have you, and thank you so much for coming on with us. Oh, thank you very much, guys. Seriously, it's been an absolute blast. Can't wait to come back on. Awesome. And for all you listeners out there, man, we appreciate you. It just seems incredible all the time we 
keep seeing more and more of you responding to stuff we're doing. Whoa, landslide. <laughs> what was that? What was that? <laughs> For all you listeners out there, man, we appreciate you. We love you. Just keep giving us information, the things you want to hear on the show. Um, just keep it going, man. We're, we're just loving it. And uh, having people like Duncan and, and Andy come on just make us want to do it even more. Uh, the podcast, I mean. <laughs> got to be clear about things around here, you know. <laughs> uh, Danny, you got anything? Eye blossom. The way you like it. <laughs> All right. That's what I got. All right. All right, folks, we're going to sign off. Duncan, say goodnight. Good night. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> That was great. <laughs> I think this episode's going to be a lot longer than they usually yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. That's, That's the fine. Duncan effect. Everything goes fine. longer. That's all right. Oh, what? is that what she said? <laughs> That's exactly what she said. <laughs> I like Duncan's black guy in the hotel room. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> then, the, then the punk behind the desk is all like, I told you not to talk to people. So Don't I talk to people when they come in. <laughs> yeah. Hey, 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 it's Bill Cosby, and he's going to give you a roofie or two. (laughs) Nah, 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 going to have a rape date. Hey, hey, hey. (laughs) You like coffee? I'm never getting an invite on. Your show's ran like so long, it's unbelievable.
Hey, what's that you had to 